And I just came back from having some of the best sex your father and I have ever had. I was upside down in that shower. Anyway, pack up your room. We're selling this house. (laughs) Mad Men. A term coined in the late 1950s to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. They coined it. Am I late? No, you're just in time. We have someone who'd like to speak on our behalf. Welcome to They Coined It. So I was always under the impression that the summer of 1963, which obviously leads into the autumn of 1963, where Kennedy's assassinated, was like known for being this like super lazy, quiet summer. Now that's obviously probably like a hindsight kind of thing. Compared to the violent summers that are coming and the, yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, the 60s started in November 63 and all that. So like with Pete, you know, and that lazy kind of vibe he's got uh, by himself and the, the, the neighbor coming over, right? Like, oh, I was looking for a quiet summer, you know, <laughs> like it was almost like they were making a point of how dead things were. Yes, in New York City where everyone goes away, but just in general. And I was just wondering whether that was like a real thing or if that's just maybe like a little bit of lore after the fact of how innocent things were prior to prior to the Kennedy. As a historian, I can assure you, I have no fucking idea. That's an interesting I have I do not know. That's really interesting. But it is a thing, right? People kind of, there's a uh, maybe a little myth and legend around it that it was like this this last days of innocence kind of thing and so everything was placid and quiet that summer. I don't I don't know that lore, but it makes sense that you look back on it and it was the calm before the storm. Right. Right. So no, I don't I don't know. And like dirty dancing even the movie, like they make a point of saying this was August of nineteen sixty three or was summer of sixty three and it was the last summer before Kennedy got ex- you right. know, and you sort of go, Oh, was that like a thing? So I don't know. It feels like it's been noted here and there and pro- probably a couple other pieces of fiction as well where they they go back to that that time frame of a few months in the summer of 63 i don't know it's funny you bring up dirty dancing first of all i it's so funny you bring up dirty dancing i almost want to laugh at you for bringing up dirty dancing but that's kind of like a twisted misogyny if i'm gonna mock you for being good at dirty dancing so i'm not going to please fucking love that movie i do i love that movie um despite all the reasons not to (laughs) but I was wondering, do we know where Trudy was when she was away? Do they ever say where she goes? Because it seemed to me very uh, Catskills, very, even though they're um, not Jewish, right? But like whatever version of of Mrs. Maisel going to the Catskills for the summer, whatever uh, dirty dancing. If, if it if it were if it were mentioned, I would think it's in that first scene at Sterling Cooper where the guys are all in Pete's office. And Pete might Pete might have said in passing, "Oh, yeah, I've got the whole weekend. You know, Trudy's away. Ba ba ba, ba 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 ba." Um, yeah, I don't think they do. So maybe not. And, and then you go to Pete's apartment again. Well, this is to be discussed. But that place is dank and dark. It looks like a castle with no lighting. It just really looks like you know Voldemort or something. <laughs> the bowl of cereal, watching. Um... Oh, that cartoon. Well, that part I liked. <laughs> I used to watch it. I would get up early and I would watch it. And then every time I was like, oh, wait, it's Christian-y? It always had like a, like a churchy oh, really? ending. 
This is where you being older than me. Davy and Goliath. Has a real, starts to show. Hey, Davy. Yeah, it was vaguely familiar to me, but I don't, I don't remember watching yeah, it. Yeah, so it was Davy and Goliath, and it was it was claymation-ish. To me, that was the most magical thing in the world, and you only ever got that. It was Rudolphy. It was the way Rudolph exactly. was. Exactly. Yeah. You only ever get that for Christmas stuff, right? So mm-hmm. it was really elusive. So I would watch it, and then it would, it was like some evangelical Lutheran something. Wow. You know, I was this little kid and I would get up early and it would be on and I would be like all mesmerized and then it would get very churchy. And as young as I was, (laughs) I definitely knew that wasn't my flavor, (laughs) you know? Well, I love Pete's giggle when he's uh, watching it. He has that kind of goofy, you know, my mouth's full of cereal kind of laugh, which was just cute. And the dog would say, hey, Davey. So Goliath was the dog. Anyway. All right, cool. Souvenir. Souvenir. What'd you think? Just give a, give give me your top line. Yeah. Um, a lot happens. Good episode. You have these these flash memories, like one thing. And what you remember about Souvenir is Betty in that outfit with that hair, which by the way, the episode won an Emmy for hair. <laughs> the hair Emmy, I remember. But a lot happens. And not that a lot of things happen, but a lot happens inside that marriage. And you can't quite tell what it is yet. But it's, it's the under the surface. Yeah, all. it's yeah. it's stuff is coming. Is stuff is all gurgling, and it was good. It was really good. I thought it was always a filler episode, the one where they go to Rome, you know. Right. But so not watching it now, years later. I think I may have only watched it once or twice back in the day. But this was like, yeah, it had all the parts I remembered, but but there was way more under the surface than I ever. Than I ever remembered. So, and this episode, I'm going to just say, fuck you to anybody who thinks January Jones is dialing it in and can't really act. Like she was incredible in this because no. it is all under the surface. It is. Totally. You're watching her face just shift slightly. That's what you don't get, yeah. and there's so much context to what she says. You don't have to look at what she says. You 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 can hear it, and the acting is there. But the fact that there's so much behind it isn't immediately apparent, at least not to me. Yeah, we don't. It yeah. wasn't. It's that's fair. Just, just incredible. So, Souvenir, written by Lisa Albert and Matthew Weiner, directed by Phil Abraham. Original air date was October 4th, 2009, and it takes place Friday through Thursday in August 1963. I've had the time of my life. This is the one where, as we said, um, Don and uh, Betty joins Don on a business trip to Rome. Henry helps Betty with the reservoir issue that she's been working on with the Junior League. Pete helps and then takes advantage of an au pair in his building. So thin on the on the plot, plot, plot piece, you could say, in a certain respect. But like we said, a lot going on under the surface. So let's get into it. Betty and the Reservoir Project. This is a, a woman with a two-month-old baby who... You would expect to look, well, if she wasn't Betty, some version of bedraggled <laughs> and exhausted. And it isn't it isn't how she looks that's worth commenting on, because again, Betty would, you know, we, we talked about it in the fog. Betty made sure she looked Mrs. Maisel perfect, you know, in the hospital. It's not about her looks. It's about she is vibrant. She is energetic. She is at work. I think it's an under-discussed aspect of where we're going mm-hmm. for Betty is that she has a job here. You know, Don even right. says they should be paying you for this. And she's like, no, I'm just, you know, I get paid enough. And, you know, that bullshit answer. But the truth is, she is 
useful. She is up to something. She is feeling used by something in the best possible way. Yeah. She's she's engaged. Fully engaged and feeling purposeful. And the reason it's unacknowledged sort of largely when you reflect on Betty when people when it might be being discussed is because she never acknowledges it. She mm. never pines for it. What she starts pining for in this episode is a fantasy version of of a is a fantasy. Is a fantasy yeah, of her life. Fantasy it's, life, yeah. Yeah. It's Italy, it's Dawn, it's it's whatever. It's sex, you know, it's mystery Dawn. I think it's a super important part of what agitates Betty. She <laughs> achieves this thing and then it's gone. And she doesn't she doesn't know enough. She is not cognitive enough about what just happened to 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 recognize, oh, I should get a cool job doing a yeah, thing. Yeah. You know, she got into politics, into it. We'll we'll get into certainly how she felt about what what all transpired and, and certainly a lot of, a lot of that takes place in Rome. Before the trip, however, she's going through the the process with the city council or whatever it is in Austinning, and they're hoping for some kind of Superman to swoop in. And lo and behold, Henry Francis does just that. He is the perfect man with the plan or the man to delay the plan uh, to come in and sound official and come in and and uh, I've got this report. I've got copies for everybody. Here you go. The governor. Blah, blah, blah. It's funny. You're doing your little impression. His voice. I'm sorry. His voice. <laughs> Like part of the casting of him, it's it, his looks are just exactly right for like who you wouldn't expect Betty to fall for, but you totally understand why Betty falls for him. But right. also that voice is such a like politician cut through the room, white man, authoritative. Stentorian. Yeah. yeah. He really he, he's got it all. He's, really he's good. The, he's, he's the perfect man you'd cast to be, quote unquote, from the governor's office. That's exactly <laughs> right. You know. And he does it. He plays the part and he saves the day and he gets the thing delayed. Again, after telling Betty at Swenson's, I can, I can't, I can, I can't, I will, I won't, I will, I won't. And then comes in, you know, swinging on a chandelier, which was probably the point to begin with. Uh, he knew he had Betty in the palm of his hand at that time. And I love that little walk that they take afterward to her car. Um, he's clearly trying to cash in on the, <laughs> on the job he just did. Um, and she knows, right? She's got Francine waving goodbye and people are watching and this is a small town. So she does the demure Betty thing. I know you want me. Maybe I want you. Maybe I don't. But I know you want me. And that's really all I need to know uh, thing. She gets in her car and he makes his move. He does the the lean in. It's not easy to do the lean in. The, the, the lean down and lean in is especially hard. He, he pulls it off. They were like. Six moves before that, that could have been it, right? He, mm -hmm. he, she's standing here. He's standing here. Then she backs up. Then he's standing here. <laughs> then she gets in. Then he leans his car and his head in. This, yeah. this is a great car. Your daddy's car. <laughs> <laughs> They're both 16. Um, right. But, but he knows the game that's being played, certainly. She's great at playing it. But it, whatever he did was, you know, whatever he, 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 the impression he wanted to make, he most certainly made. I think it was Betty suddenly saying, I don't know what it is about Don that I am so frustrated with, or maybe I do, but I've been allowing myself to settle for this guy who's been cheating on me, and I'm not sure I should be settling for that. I think that was sort of a little bit of what's going on in her head, but she didn't, she didn't have an alternative, and she chose to keep the family, and she chose to stay married, and that was her choice, but you know, as as Chris Rock likes to say, a man, or in this case, a woman's only as faithful as their options. And there's a little bit of that going on, too. 
what we see here is, well, that's not a thing I can do. What I've, what I've enjoyed doing, what has sustained me in this marriage, in this department, is flirting and getting attention. There's Arthur, who she sends out to ruin a different marriage. Captain Fantastic, she fucks in the bar, but technically we were on a break, so that doesn't count. But an affair is not something she's considering. No. No, I don't mean that that's the option that she's considering. So I, I just think for now, I think for now, what you're saying is there's something awakened in her like, oh, there's real options out there. But I don't think, mm-hmm. I don't think she's got a plan at this point. No, it's hardly formulated. I mean, all it is is, is, the, is a notion. But I mean, we'll get to this when we talk, to Ro- talk about Rome in particular, but she doesn't decide to go to Rome until that incident with Henry. Correct. Right. And why does she choose Rome then? Suddenly, you know, somewhat out of the blue. Remember, she's up in the middle of the night. She's thinking about Henry when she wakes him up and says, I'll go with you to Rome. She's thinking about Henry or she's thinking, I mean, I'm sure she's thinking about Henry, uh, but she, yeah, she's just thinking about, I don't have to be stuck. Maybe I'm, I don't have to be so stuck, so imprisoned. I, I can go to Rome. I can be in Rome tomorrow. Well, so I got to do something. I got to get out of here. <laughs> I need a new environment to feel what I'm feeling. And again, under acknowledged, she just lost her job. Like, that's what happened. Her purpose, right? right. Like, it, it, nobody's looking at it that way. But this was a full time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that morning, she, she wakes up out of, she jumps out of bed with a smile. The next thing we see, she's back from doing errands. She's got Don's dry cleaning and some, maybe some stuff from the mail. I don't know. The next thing we see, she's in that fabulous kind of nautical mm-hmm. outfit. And she and... Sally in one of my favorite moments of the episode. She's putting on her lipstick in the mirror with Sally's face there mm-hmm. with her, right? So this is an energy level, again, for, for a woman who was probably up in the middle of the night with the baby a few hours earlier, she is she bounds out of bed. And now that right. is gone. And again, nobody ever says it. Nobody sees it. I mean, there's a point where- No, she feels purpose. She's definitely yeah, there. There's a moment where she's she's there working. She's doing her phoning. And then the phone rings and it's for and it's, it's Connie's office. That's when Don finds out he's going to Rome and he writes it down right on her- On her paper. Her paper. <laughs> like it's scrap That's right. paper. That is very intentional. So when we get into a little later, why is Betty so fucking pissed? You know, yeah. it's all yeah, that's, these that's little no a life of microaggressions, whether intent, you know, yeah. from from people, but also just from life. You know, I'm using microaggressions right. wrong, but anyway, no, but they they are for her, and you know, things are in this kind of copacetic place with Don in her marriage. If you think about it, right? They're 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 getting along. Don, at this point, so far as we've seen, is not you know making excuses to be uh, gone all night. We don't see him with anyone. He just is gone a lot, is what we're we're seeing. But it seems to be legitimate in terms of the work for for Hilton. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he might be fucking people when he's out of town because he kind of does that. <laughs> for all intents and purposes, the marriage is is, is is in as okay a place as it can be. And I think she also likes that her husband gets calls from Connie Hilton, and he's an important man, and they fly him off everywhere, and uh, going to Rome is is exciting. And I, I think she recognizes that. It's the kind of man she sees herself with is this, you know, this big businessman who's important and gets big calls all the but time. But she does say, I might as well have been, we might as well have gone away for the summer with how often you're out of town. She did say that. Correct. But then, then, then she'd be going away somewhere, you know. And it's not till the Henry incident that she decides that what she has there is not enough. And I think she's hoping that whatever rattled loose with Henry will settle. While she's away, I think she's trying to rediscover or give her relationship with Don a chance 
another chance by going to Rome. And it's another chance she probably didn't know that she needed because things have been copacetic. But under the surface, she is not torn, but she's feeling the first tug of another option. Just a tug, just a notion that Don is this guy that I still don't know and maybe never will. And I think I've gotten pretty much everything there is to get out of this guy in this relationship. I think that's the first sense of it for her. Don came back to this marriage hat in hand, literally, because he he's really kind of working the the only thing keeping you from being happy is the belief you are alone. He really kind of works that. And he really mm-hmm. he really takes that in and says, "Okay, let's try let's try being happy and let's try being happy with Betty." And he comes home to be with Betty and then they they find out she's pregnant. She spends that same episode trying to get an abortion. Mm-hmm. If the pregnancy hadn't been there, we don't know if she would have taken him back. She spent that whole season leaving him, <laughs> you know, angry, finally with her anger that's always been there. Jimmy Barrett thing. and Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I agree with you. And, and I, I, you really see this in regardless of how he wrote on her, her work, like it's scrap paper. He really is watching her in this episode with delight. He's like discovering her. He's discovering her at home and going, look at you being a, all politician-y. And That's same right. with in Rome. You're tiny. He says, you're tiny. He sees her through Conrad Hilton's eyes. He th- sees her through these Italian guys' eyes. He He's really looking at <laughs> her and delighting in her. She's just trying, she's going for the fantasy to try to snap herself back into something. But she's she's never been really, she's not never, but at this phase in her marriage, she's not fully committed. She's just doing what she's supposed to do and, and, and thinking that's committed. What ends up happening is she ends up trying to find a justification for wanting Henry. She wanted to not want Henry. I think that's what she's been fighting to this point. And whether it's the kiss or the sweeping in like Henry did, she is... He's got his hooks into her. For sure. I don't think she's someone who would just, you know, anyone who gives her a wink is not getting Betty's eye, right? Henry really had to work for it. (laughs) He had to do something truly impressive, and he did. And and Betty's conflicted because of this, because it's working, and Betty doesn't want to be worked on. And uh, I think the whole trip to Rome and her disappointment that results is is sort of like creating this justification for why she should have Henry in her life. That's how I began to look at it. I don't want to want this guy, and I can't help myself. And I just took this great you know, business trip to Rome with my husband, where he's this important guy, and I should be all impressed with him. As we see at the end of the episode, she kind of shits on that too. So, so Rome. Oh, by the way, Carla can just watch the kids. Isn't that great? I wish I had a Carla. Yeah, so does Carla. <laughs> well, yeah. And apparently so does Francine. I mean, it's not subtle, but it is also... You know, one of the criticisms of this show has always been, why why couldn't we ever follow Carla home? You know, there's no there's no reason. They didn't prioritize her at all. It's like, let's just show how the black people are ignored. But you can actually show their experience of being ignored, not just in the on the job. Right. In this case. And, and I think it's very <laughs> it seemed very true to life. Right. Like Carla can come. Carla watches the kids. Carla gets another set of so, someone else's kids along the way. Because you know they're all playing and they all know each other and you know can we go over the Drapers and Carla's there um, and so yes yeah, so she's got all four kids and and the plot point that ensues there is that Sally and Ernie uh, Francine's boy is uh, are playing uh, some version of house or driving the car in the bathtub where Sally leans over and gives Ernie a, a kiss on the cheek. It's a handsome little boy too. 
Yeah, <laughs> Not a little 10-year-old. For real. And of course, that you know ignites this whole thing with Bobby, and there she's making fun. And I guess she really haul. Well, I guess we see her really haul off on Bobby with a good. I mean, that girl just wails on him. She's not holding back. Where are we going? We're going for ice cream. That's a green idea. Close your window. My hair is getting mussed. How's your day? Okay. Do I look pretty? I guess so. We touched on. Betty's motivation for going to Rome. I, I, I firmly believe now upon rewatching it that it, it really is a reaction to, you know, we, we talk about dominoes, right? So the domino was her, her experience with Henry. She was, she was not going to go. Then she has this experience with Henry. As you say, this loss of purpose that immediately goes away, this purpose that goes away once her problem is solved with the reservoir. So she, yeah, she's a little bit at loose ends. And goes with Don. I mean, and Don offers right away, come with me. And she's like, I, I can't with a two month old. And then, you know, she's kind of laying in bed thinking about that's Rome over there. Maybe I can with a two month old. <laughs> uh, what am right. I going to do? Sit home and stay home, be with the baby, kind of think about Henry, whatever. Like I can go to Rome. Mm. Like, fuck this. You know, who am I kidding? I'm not that attached to this baby. <laughs> and, 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 and I think she does she does want to be distracted from thinking about Henry also. I'm going to sit, sit here and think about him with Don not here. I, I, I got to to get out of this. Trip. Recipe for disaster. That's right. You see her staring at the chaise lounge that she bought <laughs> that's sitting in front of the fireplace yeah. Yeah. as a reminder of the, the man admiring her Lincoln. So they go off to Rome. And yeah, I mean, it dawns on me this time around that that this whole thing for her is on the surface, I think she's trying to give her emotions with Don another chance. And these are things I never noticed before or never really stood out to me. She's really trying to give this thing with Don another chance because on paper, just like Don, it looks and sounds great, even though it's a quick trip. Room 763. That's right near my room. Good night, signorina. Good See, whatever they were saying. They said you were ugly. Does that bother you? You think because of the way I'm dressed that I'm shallow? I was just hoping you were easy. And they do. They have the whole romantic evening and they, you know, they're, they're getting along and it's Connie's calling the room and blah, blah, blah. But I think this is leaving her empty. She just is. And it's like Don... You know, is somehow less impressive in Europe. I, the, the the thing that came to mind is you know Don Draper, domestic man of mystery, <laughs> because internationally he's not so hot. He's just oh, not doing it for her, and I think she's doing the best she can. But it's it's what we all do, which is kind of like a self justification. What do they call it? A self fulfilling prophecy of some kind. That's interesting. I I didn't get that take about. Don kind of maybe hailing in comparison to those Italian guys. I didn't I didn't see it that way. I mean, they say mm. you're ugly. <laughs> they say you ugly, <laughs> you ugly, <laughs> right? That's right. Um I, I didn't I didn't consider that. I thought it was a successful little sort of fantasy sequence between the two of them. I think she was really turned on, but I hadn't considered, yeah, she was turned on. Don turns her on, he always can turn her on, but did you hear my Italian? She's right. She's the one sitting there speaking Italian. She's the one who's so comfortable as 
as an international traveler. Yeah, Don's still Don's still the hick. You said something about emotions. I don't remember how you exactly said it. Betty really is in some fantasy. She's not there for any emotional <laughs> rewiring. She doesn't have the emotional depth or doesn't take the emotional deep dives to do the kind of work of reconnection. She went to have a fantasy fulfilled. She had the fantasy. And then the fantasy was over. And that's that's what happened in this episode, really. That's right. I mean, she was doing everything she thought she should. She follows him into the shower. Um, they're, they're having this beautiful Italian getaway, which is everything it's supposed to be, and the view, and the room, and everything's on the Hilton, and... What else, you know, not what else could you want, but, but, but this is the man Betty always wanted to be with. And it's, I think it's all at this point, the, the, the door has been cracked open with Henry just enough that she, she gets all that. And whereas a year ago, two years ago, whatever earlier in their marriage, this would have sent her over the moon and enough for her to like live off of emotionally for years and years, this kind of a thing. And it's just not it's just not enough for Betty anymore. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I hadn't considered what what if Henry hadn't been there, what this trip would have been like, what she would have been like when she comes home. But if we're talking years ago, if meaning Henry not being there and it was much earlier in their marriage, it would have satisfied her for many years. If it was before she met Henry, but still after all this right, nonsense, that's what I'm which, asking. the Barretts, then she wouldn't have gone to Rome. But let's just pretend. Because she only went to Rome. Understood. But let's just pretend that she went to Rome. That it's now, but there was no Henry, and she went to Rome. Oh, I see. Right? right. Don pushed her, you know, Don said it one more time. Come on, come to Rome. She says, okay. They go to Rome. Mm. They have the exact same romance. Does she come home as angry? I think you're right. I think probably not. Right. She comes home more satisfied yeah. than she did. Correct. Not much more satisfied, but not quite so volatile. Yes. Yeah, somewhere somewhere, somewhere in between early marriage and late marriage. But yes, you can, you can look at that period of- after the Barrett's incident and before Henry as this period where she maybe could have gone either way. Henry Correct. Henry is an accelerator for sure on this. That's a good way to put it. Which for me, I'll just say, turns this episode from what I thought upon having watched it, you know, maybe no more than once or twice, what I thought was always kind of a filler episode, you know, the one where they go to Rome and come back and everything's the same, to being an actually very consequential episode, much more so than I ever had realized. I wanted to watch this scene again when they're back from Rome and Francine is in the kitchen and she, and they're talking about, oh, yeah, we should take more trips. And she said something about, you know, like you get away and it's like having no kids and, and it just sounds so dreamy or whatever. There's some, Betty, that Betty's face changes right there when she says that. Right. And I, there's something in there and I'm not exactly sure what what that is. Is it? Is it that it didn't feel that way? Is it? I don't know. No, that's that's the self fulfilling prophecy, mm. right? That's the thing where you know. I guess I should be thrilled with it, but I'm not. And the reason I'm not is because I realize how dissatisfied I've yeah. been. You know, um, you know the way she kind of disapprovingly says, "Oh, I'll think about it every time." You know, he gives her the the little coliseum. Yes. Yeah. The Coliseum that maybe they'll see from the cab if they're lucky, right? You know, I'll think of it every time we you know about the trip to Rome. Uh, you know, rolls her eyes. And on one hand, yeah, what a bitch. On the other hand, it's it's her justifying wanting to be with Henry. And, and, I, and that's clear as anything to me. Hmm. I have to be dissatisfied with Don in order to let myself think about other things. Because it's too hard, it's too conflicting to be genuinely satisfied or genuinely, you know, feeling good about things. You know, because then I'm cheating. You know, there's just one moment in 
in Rome, Connie has called and they say, no, we've already ordered room service. And then Don leaves her and she, and she has to order room service now so that they can report back. But there's just this moment. She's laying there in the white towel. She's just wearing a white towel. You see her body. You see her just kind of laying there like that happy cat. You know, she looks really satisfied. She just looks like she's just enjoying being. She's just enjoying being. She's not thinking about Henry in that moment. She's just being. And then she gets up and she goes into the bathroom. She drops her towel outside the door or, you know, on the threshold. And there's just such a freedom Mm -hmm. there that that Betty Draper never, you know, that this housewife never gets to experience. That's right. But that, but that she's going, Don's in the shower. That's why this episode is so under the surface. It's so about what's in Betty's head because this is, that's almost, that's, that's exhibit A for the case of Betty trying to make it work, why it should be great on paper. She's got this great room. They're doing lovey-dovey. She's following him into the shower. Super sexy. So we think, wow, Betty's turned a corner or, you know, this thing's going to last. This thing's going to work. This is the head fake. We don't understand what's going on in Betty's mind. She's trying to make what's great on paper live up, reality live up to what's great on paper. And the, 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 the flight home, the souvenir, Don being a hick is not going to live up to that. It's just not. And that's all what's going through her head. And we can't see it, but it's there. But And to me, that explains the comment to, to Francine, I hate these people. I hate our life. You know, Because if I enjoy all this stuff and I still want Henry, then I'm a bad person because I'm cheating. Oh, that's really, that's really good. Yeah. So now Betty and Sally have their little chat. And it's all about kissing boys, which that's interesting. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Crazy coincidence. So I- I'm just going to read the whole thing. Betty says, you don't kiss boys. Boys kiss you. The first kiss is very special. <laughs> Sally, I love Sally. <laughs> She's like, but I already did it. It's over. And Betty says, in true wisdom, in a true, like, a mo- <laughs> this is a good thing for a mother to say to a daughter. You're going to have a lot of first kisses. I think that's a great, um, it doesn't make any sense to to <laughs> Sally, but it sure makes sense to you and me and adults and they're going to have a lot of first kisses. You're going to want it to be special so you'll remember. It's where you go from being a stranger to knowing someone. And every kiss with them after that is a shadow of that kiss. Right. Like me. I just kissed Henry Francis, Sally. And I'm going to be chasing that kiss for as long as and I can. And it's all downhill from there. And I, whatever I do next with Henry, <laughs> I already know. Downhill from there. That's right. Um, it was a shadow of any other kiss I've ever had with your father, but you know. By the way, th- this speech also mirrors, echoes Don and the flight attendant. There's lots of first chances. Lots of, what is it? What do you say? Lots of first chance? Lots of last chances. That- yeah, a lot of first chances. You're going to have a lot of chances. There's going to have a lot of first kisses. That's interesting. I didn't get That's good. That's fun. In a, in a weird, gross way. No, it's good. You know, <laughs> it's weird. It is gross. But it means they're both, their heads are both elsewhere, right? That That's what it means. But but in this moment with Sally, it is wisdom. Uh, and it is the right thing to say to Sally in a, in a weird, Sally's not going to completely get this, but it's still what I should be saying uh, type of way. Because it gives Sally, it empowers Sally to, 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 um, to take this type of experience into her own hands. Right. In a weird way. In a weird way, but it's it's good. I liked it. It was a it was a great moment, and obviously the callback to what she'd be going through with Henry was was a great a great Mad Men writing as usual. But um, yeah, it works on a lot of different levels. So we should take a break. 
Yeah, you know, it's going to be really fun when we come back. <laughs> yes, I can't wait. I the can't return wait. of hashtag fuck Pete Campbell. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. All right, can we just, I just want to slug through that. <laughs> All right. See you on the other side. Hey, don't forget to check us out on patreon.com slash theycoinditpod. We have a new extra weekly bonus mini episode where Dan and I come back together after the main episode is up, edited, we've listened to it and we've gone, well, hey, we just thought of more stuff. And that is called, appropriately enough, Eminently Chewable. That is available as like an addendum episode to our patrons over there. It's a great way to support the show. There are also opportunities to participate with us in like a live, we're going to be doing this like live ish zoom special bonus episode with audience q a check it out over there and stay in touch with us you guys are pretty good about that we are over on uh, on the twitter and on the instagram at tci mad men pod and also we're on facebook and we never talk about that but we are we're there we're on facebook hang out there maybe we'll come hang out with you and of course you can email us at questions at theycoinditpod.com pretty sure that's right i should look all right let's get back to it Pete fucking Campbell, what a baby. (laughs) All right, let's talk about this. We've put it off long enough. So we don't know what actually happened, but if they had all the sex, it was rape. Yeah, in the way that you would distinguish um, a date rape from a, you know, more violent rape, but rape nonetheless. Which is why we don't even make those distinctions. Or I should have said uh, in the way that you would have distinguished. I don't think that that's where the confusion would be. I think when you look at the abuse of power over someone as being the the through line here, she was not she was not physically held down that, that we that we know or see uh, know of or see. It was not it was not like that at all. But he was using his position and the, her fear of being found out, caught in trouble, possibly deported. He was using that fear to to compel her. And so on paper, it would probably look consensual, but we watch the whole thing play out and we understand the subtext and there was nothing consensual about it. There was nothing consensual about it. She was very clear. She was never interested in that. And he was very manipulative in that he never behaved as though he was interested in that, except except for everything he did. Right. So if we wanted to find rape, not in the legal sense, there was no physical threat to her, but there was other implied threats to her that were very real and just as meaningful that was his abuse of power that I think make it much closer to being raped than anything else. She also had kids sleeping in the next room. I mean, it was a whole- Oh, inappropriate. Well, no, but I mean, <laughs> had, degrees, had she maybe. screamed or made a any kind of a mm-hmm. fuss or had there been Correct. any kind of a tussle, it all would have come back on her. The only thing we don't know is, is did they only kiss? We don't know where it stopped. It doesn't really matter. It left her crying mm-hmm. and crying and crying. And the abuse of power was, was, is what was leveraged wherever it went. I mean, that's certainly what was that. That was the tool he was using was his, his dominance over her. Now, let's take a moment and head over to the department store because mm. that was an interesting turn. This is one of the best scenes of the season for me, these two. Because obviously there's a lot going on in Joan's life. You know, she has to, speaking of rapists, she has to like explain away what her husband's doing and why she's working there and not at the firm. It's going to be a psych- uh, 
a psychiatrist, psychiatrist. now. That's, yeah, that's yeah, perfect. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah, they're always into something. And you just, you can feel, you know, the desperation going on. And we're not with them all episode, right? We don't, there's none of that here. It's all her, this, this slice of life of, of Joan. We have not seen her since he said, get a job. I love, it. I mean, you've got the two of them. You've got Joan and Pete Campbell, who you've not seen interact very much ever. Mm-hmm. Um, Look at each other like, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. They, they, the other one just caught me here. <laughs> like they're both just as like, oh God. Yeah. And he has to act like this is Trudy's dress, which of course she sees immediately that it's not. She's all over that. Um, but what's so great is she's got her alibi. Oh, I get the, I get to see what's on sale before everybody else. And blah, blah, blah. I got a call. Somebody, somebody brought me in. I'm doing somebody a favor. I'm filling in. And, and the look that, the, the, what's so beautiful is that, that exasperated look that she gives when he leaves of, oh, Jesus, what do I have to deal? You know, what is it I have to deal with? I, I knew this could happen probably is what she's thinking also. This was bound to happen at some point. Someone would come in that 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 I used to work with. Actually, that was the only thing that I thought about afterwards is like any of the wives or probably not the secretaries, right? But any of the wives of any of the men in that office would could easily be see her there. You know, there's a certain amount of yeah. Pete Campbell was not on her. Pete list. was not on her list, but Trudy there. was. Yeah. So you know, there's a a certain amount of humiliation she was already preparing herself for. It just came right. in in the worst a flavor. Form. <laughs> right. Well, look, and it, it could have been could have been Roger coming in. Well, Roger's a different story, but you know, it could have been uh, anybody. Could have been Harry Crane coming in for some reason. Well, it would have. I mean, it would have been a wife. What I read on Joan's face mostly though is just this indignity. This further compounding of the indignity of my husband's a lousy doctor. <laughs> he doesn't things aren't going right. We're not starting a family. We're not buying a house. I have to keep I gave up the job I loved to do this. And now I get eyeballed. And oh fuck. That 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 all of that was in that exhale of hers. Here's Joan, the manager of the Republic of Dresses, mm. good at everything she does. Masterful at everything she does. I mean, she's perfect in how she takes care of him. I love she looks different. She's wearing trendier makeup now. She's looking a little Mm -hmm. more youthful, less buttoned up, more fashion forward. Also, you can't miss Pete Campbell as a man. You know, it starts with, excuse me, sir, are you lost? This is a Wendy's. Yeah, (laughs) right. But then it moves to he pulls a power play on that woman. He gets ridiculously ass kissed. I mean, what he says to the au pair, to Gudrun, is they just exchanged it. No questions asked. Like, hey, of course, white man in 1963. Of course, that's what happens. Are you fucking kidding? You know who couldn't get, you know who couldn't do that? Anybody else. Like me. Me now. (laughs) And I'm pretty Karen-y when I I need to be. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I mean, that was just his, his privilege is all stinking all over this thing. So how are you? Never been better. How are things at the office? Money Penny hasn't self-destructed, but it's just a matter of time. <laughs> and how are you? I think I told you already. I'm very well. Greg is just finishing up his residency. He's actually thinking about a new specialty. You know, doctors, whatever's the latest thing. <laughs> you know, between the... There's no lighting in that apartment when he's there by himself. It just feels like a guy who's out to do something rotten. I mean, it's just the whole thing. That's how the episode opens. How the episode opens is 
he hasn't noticed it's five o'clock and it's time for Hildy to leave for the weekend. And then he's like, hey, boys, who wants to have a drink with me? Right. Hildy's got the line about the mosquitoes. They don't bother me. Some people they bother. Some people they don't. I'm just one of those people. And I thought, <laughs> was that going to be a metaphor for like. No, that's just how Hildy talks. It is how Hildy talks. <laughs> but also Pete ends up being this fucking mosquito. Except if you take that line and you blow it out into that metaphor, then it's a little victim blamey. But no, but it's like Hildy saying, um, you're a mosquito. You don't bother me. Some people you bother. Most people you bother. I'm not bothered by you somehow. I'm just one of those people, Pete. I'm the only one. Me and Trudy. <laughs> and Peggy, who you chased away. Duck. Duck really likes you, but Duck hasn't really worked with you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So there's this dark cloud over Pete and his dark apartment and his dark living room and his cereal bowl and the cartoons and the whole bit. And yeah, it, it's it's like this compulsion of his to just lord his sense of entitlement over other people. It's just incredible. What we've seen with Pete, we've got we've got the subservient woman in the woods with the bloody knife fantasy. <laughs> and we've got the maiden form episode, the audition model that he sleeps with, mm -hmm, right? And mm -hmm. that comes from she's impressed by his card. She's impressed by his status. Right. And I think the power, the perception, the glimpses of himself as powerful is the turn on for him, mm -hmm. is what he likes to exploit. Then Trudy comes home. I mean, I guess we didn't tell the whole story because I keep avoiding it. Do we have to tell the whole story of what Pete did to this woman? We we got it. We went to the store. We we don't have to. Okay, thank you. She she had the dress. It was ruined, but the wine or whatever. Pete, you know, seemingly doing a good deed, says he'll take care of it, doesn't want her to be upset, gets it taken care of because he knows Joan, gives it back to her, leaves, and then comes back in the middle of the night of all things. Not Nothing creepy Drunk. there. Completely wasted. And and takes advantage of her. So that's that's it. That's the whole story. And then we get Trudy's return. Yeah. She's all randy and misses him and affectionate. It's interesting that there's a moment of her wanting to have sex with him and him not consenting, right? Uh, mm -hmm, that was just mm -hmm. notable. But suddenly he's tearing up and he appears remorseful. And I don't know if the remorse is accurate. That's certainly the look on his face. Yeah. Whether or not Trudy picks up on it precisely is unknown. But uh, the viewer, it's a full-on remorseful look. I think Trudy absolutely picks up that there has been I a cheat. That's my I, opinion. She certainly doesn't know he, he raped or, or assaulted or whatever this person. Pete's been a bad boy while I was away. Yeah. The scene in the elevator with all of them. I don't think she, she picked any of that up. But yes, Pete's been a bad boy. It's very upsetting. She's, she's feeling very betrayed. And he's experiencing something like remorse. I don't know if it's because he got yelled at by the guy and he got caught. Yes, that's exactly it. Someone called him out on it. If, if that didn't happen, Pete would uh, start kissing Trudy. Let's do this little thought exercise. If he had somehow found out that he had left this girl crying for hours, but had not been confronted, no remorse, right? Mm. Yeah, it's all about getting caught. That's what I think, too. Entirely. Because it was brought home. It was this guy in the blazer and the, I've got a drink there and let me make this quick and stop your bullshit. And he completely calls him out. Isn't even shitty about it. He's like, hey, this is what we do. Just keep it out of the building. It's not like, you know, next time I see your wife, I'm going to have right, news no. for <laughs> None of that. These guys are simpatico. Ugh. Pete, but it's interesting. Pete hates, Pete doesn't want to see himself that way. 
He never puts himself in the category. I mean, the first thing he said, go back to that first scene. People think I'm the one you're supposed to feel sorry for, but I feel sorry for Hildy. And the guys are like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, I might do bad things, but I'm not a bad person. I'm not that guy. That's right. That's right. Exactly right. So getting called out was what put the remorseful look on his face. And Trudy, yes, I, I would get. There's no evidence for this, but I would guess that her storming off is is a recognition of that. That's the evidence for that. No, she totally gets it. She totally gets it. And we don't know how that's going to play out. So when we get to the next scene, she that's where she's play acting this whole. I'm going to act like this never happened. Like that's her. At this point, in this marriage, at this moment, that's her response. We're not making any decisions. That's right. I went to the market and I got some greens and I blah, 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 blah. And here's your, here's your wonderful dinner and we're just going to sit here with this. Yeah, those two fuckers. All right. <laughs> <laughs> There's that power couple. Let's, uh, let's take another break and when we come back, we'll do some quotes. There you go. So it's a bit of a carryover from the conversation we just had uh, when Trudy and Pete are back again after she has stormed off and they're having their little dinner. And he's very quiet still. And she's trying to pretend like she didn't realize that he's been a bad boy while while she's away. He says, I don't want you to go away anymore without me. Mm. And it's this it's this weird thing where Pete is such a villain and he's such a horrendous human being. It's intended to play like, I think... I think the way it's intended to sound to the to the viewer is almost like a um a little romantic almost. A little romantic, right. A little bit I've been a bad boy, but I I, I I'm sorry without saying I'm sorry, which the writers are great at <laughs> at writing lines like that are I'm sorry without ever saying the words. You are what grounds me. You are what keeps me correct. Committed as opposed to I am fucking incapable of being responsible for my behavior, so it's kind of your fault, which might have been there too. (laughs) To me, that line actually reads, the way it scans for me is a lot closer to, I don't like you this way, which is what he told Peggy, which is almost like, (gasps) you're the reason I'm a shit. Very I'm not responsible for my own actions. It just felt that there's nothing really to tie them together, I don't think. Well, except it's Keith Campbell saying it (laughs) to a woman he allegedly cares about. Right. But they're different situations. I don't see a ton of parallels in there. You know, this is where Peggy was sidling up to him and being cute and trying to engage him. This was Trudy, you know, trying to cover over, you know, his embarrassing behavior. So I don't see a lot of parallels there. But just somehow that it just rings out this, I don't like you this way and I don't want you to go away anymore without me. It just has to do with, other people are responsible for how I behave. That's the thin line I see. Yeah, between that's that. very good. And maybe because it's Pete that I'm putting all the weight on those two things, you know, I'm connecting those two things. But it just felt that way to me. I don't know. His betraying behavior. Oh, fuck Pete Campbell. He's just a dick. Fuck Pete Campbell. Okay, your line. So Betty, all jubilant. We won, we won, we won. <laughs> <laughs> you have never seen that. You've never seen her like that. No, the dance. But in that way, she has of being, of being, of pretending she knows more than she knows and, you know, kind of bloating her own, her own, um, accomplishments, accomplishments and, 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 uh, yeah. She says to Don, well, you know, when you don't have any power, you have to delay things. Echoing, of course. Yes. Well, obviously, yes, that was a direct lift from what Henry said, but also, This is the story of Betty in this episode and Betty in this marriage. (laughs) When you don't have any power, you have to delay things. And that's what she's been doing. She doesn't have any power. And 
She's just been delaying making decisions about this marriage. You know, she keeps acting like life's going to happen over there or someday. Right. And that's, a that's where she is. Great way to put it. That's where she's at. And of course, it's not exactly the quote. That's right. No, this is, that's right. I took her quote. I exactly took her quote. She was obviously taking it from, from Henry, but that's not what Henry said. When you have no power, delay. She added that you have to delay things. And I just, I love that in Mad, in the Mad Men universe, people always get quotations that's wrong. Right. <laughs> it's awesome. She also described, it was, it was interesting that what Henry said was, this was all based on a report and we questioned the report. And she says to Don, it was all based on a lie. It was all made up, all made up, completely made up. And I was like, what? Wait, did I miss yeah. that? But I didn't. So she, you know, again, she bloats things so that she can yeah. sound authoritative. And that's what people do all day and long. And that's what people do all people day don't long. Quote, people don't quote other people. Even when you're stealing a line that you'd like for another purpose uh, or just to relay it, but you're not giving credit to the other person to make yourself sound smart, you still don't get it right. <laughs> that's just the way things are. You never quite uh, are verbatim. We're, we are not we are not dictaphones. That's right. <laughs> so it's, it's just great that she put that little spin on it inadvertently. Um, it almost made me think of um, Mark Your Man. Yes. I thought it was going to be the mark you make on your man. Was it? (laughs) (laughs) Sal, was it? You know, it's never quite, we never quite uh, transcribe it perfectly, but that's that's why it's so perfect. Yeah. Great stuff. All right, man. This was a good episode. (sighs) That's right. That's right. We small hours next week. That's Jesus fuck. I never would have thought. Like, we're there. We're there. It's going to be episode nine. We are are rounding the corner. Interesting. Okay. It's a good one, man. Well, I'm still jet lagged just getting back from Rome. So we're going to take a week and uh, freshen up and we'll be ready to talk. We small hours. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. Hey, coiners. We're so glad you're enjoying the show. One of the best ways to support us is to give us rave reviews on Apple Podcasts and to share us on social media. A great way to literally support us is at our Patreon, where we've got some extra content. Patreon.com slash theycoinditpod. If you're able, we love you either way. And we love your comments and your questions. Bring them on. Questions at theycoinditpod.com or find us on Instagram, Twitter, at TCI Mad Men Pod. We've got a lot more Mad Men to get to, and we can't wait. See you next episode.